A.W. Tozer, a great saint of last century, wrote these words. He said, when God intends to use a man greatly, he first must break him and hurt him deeply. The Bible is in some degree a book about God's breaking people in order that he might use people. We're going to look in detail at one figure who fits that bill, David, the son of Jesse, the second king of Israel. But before we do that, lest we think that God only breaks men to use them, let me refer you to the splendid illustration from the life of a woman who was known as Naomi. Naomi's story is found in the book of Ruth. To the casual reader, the book of Ruth just seems like some quaint story of a family who was rescued from danger and then sent back to their motherland to live out a life in glamour and in serenity. However, when you look at it more carefully, especially at the life of Naomi, what we discover is that she and her husband, Elimelech, left their homeland in Israel to go to a neighboring nation, albeit a Gentile nation, Moab, where there was no famine. They went there, and for ten years they lived there. During that time, Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died. But they had two sons who had accompanied them, who were adults at the time of their father's death. Their names were Malin and Kilian. And these two young men found wives from among the Moabitist people. And the wives' names were Orpah and Ruth. It was not long until these two young men died too. Ruth was overwhelmed with the loss of her husband, Kilian, but not nearly as overwhelmed as Naomi was because not only was she bereft of her husband, but also bereft of her two sons. And she decided that she would pack up her goods and return to her homeland, to her village, Bethlehem. Does that ring a bell? As she was gathering her goods together, she told her daughters, you stay here with your mothers because you're still young and God will provide a husband for you from your own people and you will be blessed. There was great weeping which followed from the hearts and mouths of these two young women, Orpah and Ruth, because they loved their mother-in-law, Naomi, as if she were their own mother. They begged her permission to go with her. She said, no, you must stay. And then, finally, she gave in and said, if you want to go, you may go, but it would be preferred if you return to your own house. Ruth went with her mother. And whenever I perform a wedding ceremony, I quote from Ruth, And these are the words of Ruth to her mother-in-law. Entreat me not to leave you or to return from following after you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. And your God, my God. And so these two lone figures make their way back to Israel, to Bethlehem. Upon arriving, after a ten years absence, the people recognized Naomi, and they said to one another, at least the females in the town said, could this be Naomi? And they approached, is this you, Naomi? And she said, no longer call me Naomi, 
By the way, the name Naomi in Hebrew means pleasant. No longer call me pleasant, but call me Mara. Mara is the Hebrew word for bitter. She says, because the Lord has dealt very bitterly with me. And then she goes on to say, the Lord Almighty has afflicted me. Now, the story doesn't stop there, thank God. And in the end, she became a grandmother and had a part in raising her grandson, who was an ancestor of none other than King David himself. And, of course, by virtue of that, an ancestor of Jesus Christ. She understood what it was to be broken by the Lord. And David had to learn this lesson in order to accomplish what God really intended him to accomplish. And he speaks of this in the 34th Psalm. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to the 34th Psalm. The 34th Psalm. There is a caption above this psalm which gives the historical context in which David penned this psalm. It says, A psalm of David when he pretended madness before Abimelech who drove him away and David departed. The Word of God says in verse 1 of Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord, and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to Him and were radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his trouble. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him. And rescues them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints. For to those who fear Him, there is no want. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger. But they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life? In love's length of days, that he may see good. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and His ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry and the Lord hears. And believers, and delivers rather them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants. And none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. David's life, in large part, is a study in brokenness. And here we have a capsule-sized version of that event or that process in his life. First of all, what was David's condition at the time that he penned 
this great psalm. First of all, he was a man who was on the run. He was a fugitive. After he had won the incredible battle against Goliath, and the people had extolled him, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands, all of a sudden he was elevated to a place out of nowhere, actually a simple shepherd boy with no intentions of ever doing anything quite that grandiose, was used by God because the hand of God was upon him. Do you remember what he said before he went into battle as Saul was talking to him about this thing he was about to do to take on this nine-foot-tall Goliath from Gath of Philistia? David said to him, as Saul warned him about the danger which lay ahead, He said, the Lord delivered me from the paw of the lion and he delivered me from the paw of the bear and the Lord will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. He was depending on the Lord and the Lord gave great victory, an astonishing victory as this young man, probably in his mid to late teens, faces off with this giant of a man and slays him by the power of of God. He knew he could not do it on his own, but he knew with the Lord's help, all things are possible. But now he's a man on the run. Why? Because Saul was insanely jealous. At least three times in 1 Samuel, the Scripture talks about how Saul threw a spear at David, and two of those times David was playing music for the king, which would soothe his soul because his soul was so upset. I'm speaking of Saul, the king, of course. But this man was on the run. He had found himself in a village known as Nob. And Nob was a place where the high priest Ahimelech carried out his duties. So he went to the high priest. He went into the tabernacle. And he asked if there was some food for him. He said, King Saul, and he was lying, by the way, when he said that. David was lying. He, and it wasn't the first time in this period of his running as a fugitive that he lied to save his skin. And he said to him, he said, King Saul has sent me on a secret mission here. So it will be legitimate for you to give me bread because I need it. And by the way, he said, do you have any weapons? The king did not give me a weapon to carry out my mission. And after further exchange, Ahimelech, the priest, said, I have some showbread, which was the honored sacred bread that was there for the rituals in the tabernacle. And he gave him five loaves. And then he said, Goliath's sword, the sword which you use to destroy this great giant, is here as well. So David, needing food, needing provision, and also needing protection, got up from that place and went of all places to the hometown of Goliath, Gath of Philistia. What was in his mind, I can't tell you, but he went there. And when he went there, in order to save his hide, he decided to pretend that he was crazy. And he began to slobber, excuse my southern French, all over his beard. And he would mark on the door to the city, the gate of the city. He was scribbling nonsense on it. 
And consequently, when the people there said to King Achish, don't you know who this is? This is David who slew our champion, Goliath, and he's here. And then the king said, don't you know I've got enough madmen here to occupy all my time? And so don't bother him. He is of no consequence as far as being a dangerous threat to us. So the scripture says, as we read it from 1 Samuel 21, he left and he went to the cave of Adullam. And it was in that cave that he penned these words. It was in that cave that he found himself alone. Have you ever really been alone? Perhaps not in a cave. But there's probably more than one person here this morning who feels very much alone. Alone in a relationship. Alone because your financial situation is beyond imagination. There's no way you can meet that need. Alone because you're suffering from an illness. Perhaps an illness that could be fatal to you. Your loneliness is bearing down upon you. And it's a time for evaluation of your relationship with God. And you may even wonder, as David probably wondered, Lord, what have I done? He actually states this to his best friend, whom he had lost also, the son of the king Saul, Jonathan. He never saw him again. In chapter 20 was the last conversation that the two of them had. And he left, and he never saw him again. He lost his best friend. He had lost his wife, Michael, the daughter of King Saul. And he never had a healthy relationship with her again. He had lost his position, his job, if you will, as being a captain in the army of the king and also the king's personal musician. And here this man is alone. He's not only alone, he's afraid. He's eaten up with fears. In this passage, we saw how he said, The Lord delivered me from all my fears. What would those fears have been? Probably the need for provision, which God had given him through the high priest, Ahimelech, and also protection. He had this great sword. But he needed more than that. He knew that. We see him a broken man in this cave. Not only a man on the run, alone, afraid, but he was a broken man, having lost all these things which I mentioned earlier. Why does God break people? Here's why. In the book of James, chapter 1, the Bible says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. What can we derive from that statement from the book of James? We will never mature in this life, spiritually, apart from trouble. And we get further clarification of this in the book of Psalm 119, verses 67, 71, 75, and 92, where the psalmist writes, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. It was good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. In faithfulness, you have afflicted me, O God. If 
your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. So do you see the role that the afflictions in David's life played in his life? The same role they played in the life of Naomi. The same role they play in the life of all of us. They're designed to help us to turn to the Lord and recognize who He is. That He is a loving Father who knows the end from the beginning. Sometimes, in fact, He does discipline us. And it's for His glory and for our good. Just like when you and I were children, we misbehaved. And if our parents cared about us, what did they do? They disciplined us. And I don't ever being remember, remember being sent to timeout. I didn't even know what timeout was. I thought that had something to do with an athletic contest. I w- never was put in the corner. I got some spankings, though. <laughs> I didn't like any spanking I got. I don't ever remember laughing when I got a spanking. I don't. But I, underneath, un- knew that my parents loved me because they had a track record of protecting me and providing for me, But it is very puzzling when we believe we have done what we should have done. David had been submitted to the authority of King Saul. He had continued to keep coming back and coming back to the court of the king who was trying to kill him. He was broken hearted because he loved the king. But the king in his insanity under the influence of an evil spirit... This king just kept coming against him, and he wondered why the Lord had let that continue, just like we do at times. Well, the reason is because God wants us to grow in our understanding of the Word of God, the understanding of the teachings of God, the laws of God, and to know God more fully, to press us in to God. There's a statement by one of my mentors whom I never met. His name is David Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was a great Welsh preacher in last century. He spoke to one of the young men who had followed him in the pastorate that he had held for over 25 years in London, Westminster Chapel. And this young pastor, compared to Dr. Jones, said this. He said this to this young pastor. He said, R.T., he said, the worst thing that can happen to a man is for him to succeed before he is ready. That would be true for a woman also. Succeed for the Lord, not succeed for oneself. David had lost everything. He had lost, as I mentioned, significant relationships. And he had lost Above all else, his own self-respect in that situation. What had happened? He acted like a crazy man. He was a very gifted man, wasn't he? A great warrior, an exceptional poet. He was a significant leader of people, a good shepherd, great hunter. He was evidently a good actor, too, because he acted to the level that Ahimelech, Abimelech, rather, who... That was the king's name in general, like President Obama or President Trump. It's just a title, but the name Akish, he had fooled him with his acting. But here was a man 
who had lost everything. He needed to lose it because he was yet to assume the throne. I was caused, as I was preparing the message, to think a bit about how long he had been waiting to get the crown. We don't know the exact number of years, but let's assume that he was maybe 15 or 16 when Samuel was sent by the Spirit of God to the house of Jesse, and the Spirit of God singled out David, the eighth of eight sons, to be the one who was to be anointed the once and future king of this great nation of Israel. So let's say 16. He did not assume the throne. He was not coronated king of Israel until he was 30 years old. 14 years. That's a long time to wait, isn't it? And it was full of difficulty. It was full of more difficulty than things that would naturally draw forth a sense of happiness in his life. But he trusted the Lord through all that. And God broke him so that he could use him more fully. Last week, news broke in the NFL world about how the Denver Broncos were going to hire Joe Flacco, who had just been dismissed by the Baltimore Ravens in the NFL as quarterback. And Flacco has the distinction that only a handful of professional football quarterbacks have. He led his team to a Super Bowl. Well, Flacco is gone, and the Broncos pick him up. The Broncos, a year ago next month, signed Case Keenum, a committed follower of Jesus Christ, by the way, unashamedly speaks out for the Lord, lives the life. He's a consistent follower of Christ. And he signed a $36 million two-year contract. That's a lot of money, isn't it? But what he knows now is, when he heard the news, he didn't hear it secondhand. To his credit, John Elway, the general manager, called him and told him, we have... We're in the process of hiring Joe Flacco, and I think you know what that means. He said, yes, I know what it means. And then he gave an interview. I'm talking about Case Keenum now with Sports Spectrum last week. Listen to some of the things he said in this conversation. Kimberly and I were definitely shocked and disappointed. It was something we wanted not to happen. I had hoped with... We would be with the Broncos for a long, long time. For us, however, it's another chapter in our lives. And we're going to roll with it. Another opportunity to overcome some adversity in my life. He had a lot and has had a lot of adversity in his career, injury-wise and being shipped from one team to another. And here's the final statement, including his wife, as he should. We do not know what's going to happen. So a lot of emotions we're talking about are still kind of going on. He said, I don't know for sure what's in store, but God does. We'll be ready for whatever God has in store for us next. Here's a great saying. Disappointment in your life and my life as children of God is His appointment. It's His appointment for us to grow in our relationship with Him, for us to mature and respond properly to the difficulty that God 
allows in our lives. One of the songs we sang spoke about how from my first cry to my last breath. Did you catch that? Jesus is commanding my destiny because He is sovereign over our lives and He is a good God. David's condition may be your condition. But let's now turn our attention to David's conversion. That's right, I said David's conversion. David was already a a man who knew God. But sometimes we have to not be saved again, but we need to go deeper in our walks with God. And that happened to David, and he reports it here in this passage of Scripture. Let's look, first of all, at the stages of his conversion. The first was, in verse 1, he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And the word bless is a word which comes from the Hebrew word for knee, and it means to bend the knee. I will bend the knee, David says, to the Lord at all times. What that signifies is clear, isn't it? If I bend my knee before someone, I'm showing honor to that person. In the case of David's bending his knee before the Lord, he's signifying the Lord is my king. The Lord is my sovereign. And I will have his praise in my mouth at all times. This is the first step of moving past the pain that comes when we are broken by God. Recognizing He has not done what He's done to us out of any kind of rancor, any kind of ill will. To the contrary, He's done it so that we might grow spiritually and be more useful to Him. He blessed the Lord in this situation. Look what it goes on to say in verse 2. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. We are adept as human beings at boasting in ourselves, aren't we? We boast in our riches if we have a certain amount of riches. We boast in our strength if we have a certain amount of strength. In our beauty if we have some beauty. We boast in our intelligence or our wisdom. We are really experts at boasting. But what happens when a man or a woman is broken by the Lord? There is an evaporation of the tendency to boast. And instead, our souls boast in the Lord. David writes in Psalm 20, verse 7 and 8, Some boast in chariots and some in horses, but I boast, we boast, in the name of the Lord our God. Those who boast in chariots and horses, they are the ones who have fallen and can't get up. But we have risen and stand firm. Do you get the picture? David had been down there. Why? He had been broken by God. But unlike those who continually boast and are broken finally and forever by God because of their opposition to God, what happens when we have responded properly to the brokenness, the Lord lifts us up and we stand firm because we're standing on the rock of the Lord. We're not standing on our own ability We're standing on the power of the Lord, just like David did when he stood against the man Goliath, the giant. So David, in the second stage, first of all, he blessed the Lord. That means he submitted to the Lord. Secondly, he sought the Lord. Look at verse 4. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. In 1 Chronicles 16, 11, David says this, Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face continually. Seek His presence continually. Now, need I remind 
view this morning that David was not a prophet. David was not a priest. He was not a king. I mean, he was not a, a clergyman. He was a king. He was a warrior. All the things which I've said before. He was a layman, if you will. But he was the one who led his country. And he led from a position of submission to the Lord God. And consequently, he was successful and brought glory to the Lord. He had to seek the Lord, though. This should be the primary occupation of every believer's life. When David was passing the torch to his son Solomon, he stood before all the leaders of Israel, militarily, economic, religious, you name the classification, all the leaders were there. They were waiting to hear what the king would say to his hand-picked successor Solomon. And then he turns to Solomon, and this is what he said, Know the God of your father. That's the advice he gave him. Know the God of your father. Seek Him, is what he was saying as well, without saying the word. You can't know someone unless you seek that person out. And we seek Him the rest of our lives in this world, and undoubtedly that seeking continues in the next life. Though we see through a dark, a glass darkly now, we will see Him face to face, and I believe our knowledge of Him will grow exponentially when we meet Him. He sought the Lord. He did it by crying out to the Lord. Look at verse 6, the first part of it. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him. And by the way, the phrase, the Lord heard him, it's used more than once in this passage. It means that the Lord gave his undivided attention to David. I want to tell you, I believe if any person makes it his or her mission, to submit to the Lord, bowing the knee to the Lord, praising the Lord, putting the Lord in first place, boasting about the Lord, not about oneself or the associations that that person has, but boasting in the Lord, then that same person seeks the Lord. That person will be a person who will be heard by the Lord. This is important for us understand. He cried out to the Lord. Crying out is the most primal type of praying because it speaks of intensity. It's really unintelligible sometimes. We just cry out to the Lord. Are you familiar enough with the Bible to know that the great people of the Bible cried out to the Lord? They were not ashamed. They were in difficulty. It's a simple prayer, too. Just crying out to the Lord for His provision and His protection. And the Lord heard him when he cried out. Jesus Himself cried out to the Father. Are you aware of this? Hebrews 5, 8, 7 rather. Hebrews 5, 7. Talks about how the Lord lifted up Prayer and supplication to the Father, the one who could deliver him from death. This is probably speaking of Gethsemane. He lifted these prayers up and cried out with cries, it says, and tears. He wept. David wept. People who are desperate enough to where they've come to the end of their rope, there is no way out. So God hymns them in and They have one of two choices, cry out to the Lord and trust Him 
or just stew in your bitterness and resentment toward the Lord because of what you believe He has done to others. He feared the Lord, too. In this passage of Scripture, let's read what the Scripture says. In verse 11, Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. David learned to fear the Lord. It's something that is learned, by the way. We need to understand what the fear of the Lord is. The Bible is very clear in Psalm 112, verse 11. It says, Praise the Lord. It says, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. And then we get clarification as to what it means to fear the Lord. Who delights in keeping the Lord's commandments. This is the hallmark of a man or a woman who fears the Lord. Do you delight in the commandments of the Lord? Do you resist the commandments of the Lord? In keeping the commandments, there is freedom The Bible says the truth sets people free. And we can continue to go our own way to our own demise and our own peril, I might add. But David learned this the hard way, just like we all do. And he wanted to teach these people. And these people would have been the 400 people who had shown up at the cave. Remember that from 1 Samuel 22-2? These 400 people just show up. They're men. And how are they described? They were men who were discontented. They were men who were distressed. They were men in debt. Does that sound like anybody you know? People in this world are like that. And they are drawn to David in his world. And David, in this case, is a a type of Christ, I believe. And people are drawn to Jesus. And Jesus is the one who can teach us the fear of the Lord. We can't expect the blessing of the Lord apart from the fear of the Lord. Look at the blessing of the Lord. In verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. That word rescue is a a salvation word, rescues them. And we've already been acquainted with the fact that this scripture talks about more than one place, three to be precise. It speaks of the Lord's delivering them. David, delivering David. That's a word that's used clearly in Psalm 39, verse 8, and then again in Psalm 51, verse 14, from David, speaking of God's delivering him from his transgressions, his breaking of the law of God. God delivered him and delivered him and delivered him. This is our God. He delivers us from our fears. He delivers us from our troubles. He delivers us from our afflictions. Look at verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Does that strike you as a little strange? Many are the afflictions of the righteous. When Joseph was naming his two sons, remember Joseph, 20 years a slave, this Joseph, a prisoner, abandoned by his own flesh and blood, sold into slavery by his own flesh and blood. Do you remember his story? And after he was freed, he married a woman Potiphera was her name. She was the daughter of a priest in Egypt, not a priest of the Most High God, but a priest. They had two sons. One's name was Ephraim, the other Manasseh. I want to talk about Ephraim's name. Ephraim, this is what the name means. The Lord made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Do you know there's 
not only maturity which cannot come apart from trouble and affliction in your life under the sovereign hand of God, but also fruitfulness. And by this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, Jesus said, and so prove to be my disciples. So here we see David. Many of the afflictions of the righteous. And David was not the only one, and David isn't the only one. We who know him and wish to be people who honor him will have a certain degree of affliction also. Now let me stop here just a moment. I'm not saying we should run and embrace affliction. Go looking for it. Don't go looking to get pummeled in your life. Just follow the Lord. Because in His presence there is fullness of joy. And in His right hand there are pleasures forevermore. He will help us through whatever difficulty we find. He will deliver us. The Lord saved David, verse 6 tells us, the Lord rescued him and others who fear him. The Lord, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. This is the great promise for us who know the Lord, that we have the protection of the Lord. You need protection, fear the Lord. That means, as we saw, obey the Lord. And then look at what verses 9 and 10 say. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for to those who fear him there is no want. The young lions do lack and suffer anger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. This is true. If we seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, all these necessities of life will be added to us. And we can be done with living under great fear of not having enough. It's interesting, isn't it? That when Jesus was teaching us to pray in what is called the Lord's Prayer, it's really the disciples' prayer, He says, give us this day our daily bread. He wants to let us learn to live in the moment in dependence upon Him. That doesn't mean it's wrong to save, because the book of Proverbs talks about saving, but not saving to amass a great amount of money that we can just count all the time, but for the use and glory of God. And so we are men and women who don't have to worry about not having the necessities of life if we fear the Lord. That's a great recommendation for fearing the Lord, isn't it? Do you understand? I don't want to leave today without your knowing what is the fear of the Lord. It's greatly delighting in His commandments. It's obeying Him. It's submitting to Him. It's seeking Him. It's boasting in Him. It's all these things which David describes in this passage of Scripture. The Lord redeemed David. This is the biggie at the end of this section of Scripture, verse 22. The Lord redeems the soul of His servants. And David describes him, by the way, himself as a servant on more than one occasion. The last line of Psalm 143, he says, I am your servant. And the word for servant really is a bond slave. It's not just a hired hand. It's someone who is indentured, a bond slave. And none of those who take refuge in Him will be condemned. Now, rather quickly, I want to take note of David's contagion. This is easily overlooked. Have you ever been around people who are inspirational? And it's good to have some of those folks in our lives, isn't it? You can just hang out with them and you get charged up about whatever. In the spiritual realm, we need such people. 
David is such a person. He inspired, in a good way, the 400. Why do I say that? Now, remember, what was their condition? They were distressed, discontented, bitter is the way the ESV says it, and they were in debt. But what does the Lord promise them? As they sit in that cave of Adullam, all 400 of them, plus David, are refugees. They are fugitives. And David says, gather around me, men. He pulls out his lyre. He begins to play. And as he plays and accompanies himself, he sings this psalm. And when he gets to the point where he talks about how those who fear the, law, fear the Lord will have no want in their lives, all of a sudden the problem of indebtedness is gone. All they have to do is get in line and obey the Lord. That's it. They'll fear the Lord and what will happen? Their needs will be met. Not their wants, but their needs will be met. And the discontentment, they will be men who begin to rejoice in the Lord because they see the example of David in his situation. They knew about David's difficulties. Their difficulties didn't compare to his difficulties. And look what David says in verse 2. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear it and rejoice. Be sure that these men were transformed. And part of their transformation was that of being bitter, probably bitter toward the Lord. And quite frankly, all bitterness goes back to the Lord because He's a sovereign God. And we get mad at God and get bitter at God saying He doesn't care anything about us because we don't really know Him. And we don't really fear Him. But we start doing what the Word of God says and then the bitterness turns into joy. They rejoiced. The humble shall rejoice. Then look at verses 3 and following. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Wow. That would have been a relief for them to hear. If the Lord did it for David, the Lord can do it for me. There's a place for testimony in our lives. When we have had trouble, and we have learned to trust the Lord in our trouble, then there is a weight that God gives to our testimony, unlike the testimony of people who have not had trouble and have not yet been submitted fully to the Lord in many cases. But with this, look at verse 5. This is one of these verses that's sort of puzzling because David goes from the first person pronoun, speaking of himself, himself, himself. And they say, they looked to him and were radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. I think he was talking about these 400 men in the cave. They looked to the Lord just like David had, and their faces were radiant. They were transformed. Now let's close with looking at verse 8. This is the invitation to you and me today. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Refuge in the Lord. Look again at verse 22, the last part. And none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. This reminds me of Romans 8.1. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We take refuge to the Lord we find ourselves tasting and seeing that He is good. Would you bow your head? Do you know the Lord in this way? Have you tasted of Him and seen that He is good?
the Lord is speaking to your heart, telling you this day, perhaps, that you are to bow the knee before Him. Trust in Him with all your heart. And quit leaning on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He will make your path straight. In the privacy of your heart, would you just say to the Lord, Lord, I want to trust you wholeheartedly. I want to run to you and take refuge in you, Lord. I want to bend the knee to you as a servant to his or her master. Thank you, Lord. Amen.